0: Take your business further at tmobilecom slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of Outlaw Country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. pushkin just a quick note here you can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist which you can find a link to in the show notes for licensing reasons each time a song is referenced in this episode you'll hear this sound effect all right enjoy the episode carlos santana has always been out of this world as a guitarist, his melodic style and tone is distinctive, and as a band leader, his decision to combine Latin and African rhythms with traditional rock helped to widen the breadth of the genre. As Paraísos Queimados, from Santana's 2019 album, Africa Speaks, produced by Rick Rubin. Today, you'll hear Rick in conversation with Carlos and his wife drummer, Cindy Blackman. They talk about Carlos's plans to create what he calls miraculous music, Carlos also shares stories about Miles Davis, his LSD use in the 60s, and a dream where John Coltrane asked him the purpose of the divine. It might sound a little out there, but as Carlos tells Rick, being crazy just gives him more creative latitude. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Carlos Santana, Cindy Blackman, and Rick Rubin.
1: What was the music you listened to growing up? My father, my
2: father's played the violin and he sung, and he had a, um, his brother played cello, he had a piano player, a guitar player, an accordion, and they basically play European music. You know, uh, he didn't play mariachi music till we moved to Tijuana, but in Outland it was basically Agustin Lara, who was like the Cole Porter of Mexico, you know, and uh, songs like Besame Mucho and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up watching him be enchanting and adored immediately by women, men, and children. And I said, ooh, you know, I I want that. <laughs> Did <laughs> you, your dad play professionally? He, yes. I didn't know that. He played violin professionally, and he's the one that taught me the value of one note, you know. and But not till we moved to Tijuana, you know, because he, he had to feed us. So he would play mariachi music um, because that's what the tourists wanted to hear. But that's what I learned about Charlie Hooker and Lightning Hopkins and uh, Jimmy Reed. And everybody else was listening to Elvis and, and Beach Boys. You know, I, I, I was attracted to, I was listening to God Bucket music. I thought that even B.B. King was sophisticated. You know, <laughs> not till later I learned about T Walker and New Ellington, man. It's like, oh shit, you know. Uh, or Monk, you know, hearing Monk for the first time, play some blues. I was like, oh my god, this is the blues, you know. Was was Monk your way into jazz? Yes, Monk was way into jazz. I, in the beginning, because you, when you're young, you're ignorant, and I thought that anything that had to do with jazz was boring, sophisticated music for old people, you know. Chuck Berry, and Lil, Bo Diddley, and Little Richard, you know, that was, like, out front, like, what Metallica is, because it was energy. And a
1: lot of things came from them. Any, um, any guitar players that you would say influenced you early on? Like, who were the people, when you saw them play or heard them play, would like, felt like, there's something here for me to, to follow or to practice or to learn, or- in the beginning in Tijuana, making the transition from violin
2: to guitar, I saw this guy named Javier Batiz in the, in the park. My mom knew what she was doing, because my father moved to San Francisco so he could make more money and send us money. Uh, he wasn't making money in Tijuana anymore, because everybody and their mom had a mariachi band in there. So he moved to San Francisco. And my mom, my mom saw that I wasn't playing anymore the violin, and, and I wasn't practicing. So she took me by the hand, and she goes, you're coming with me. I says, well, where are we going? She goes, you're coming with me. So she took me to the park, and there was a band uh, playing. And this guy had a big mop like uh, Little Richard. The guy is Javier Bates, And he was a perfect combination of Little Richard, B.B. King, and Ray Charles. That's what he was sent to. And he was probably maybe four or five years older than I am. And he was already in it. He had that sound, like Michael Bloomfield or Peter Green or... Like that, you know, because he, he, he got into BB King, really got into it. So when I first heard that sound, it was like seeing a white whale or a flying saucer or something, man. Hearing the guitar amplifier and everything resonate to the trees and the cars and the church across the street, it took my breath away. I was like, oh, my God, what is this, you know? So he was the first one that initiated me into loving the electric guitar and the, that twang thing like, um, you know, like Ronnie Mac. And, and and I think the main person who turned me around was John McLaughlin when I saw them at Slugs with Tony Williams and Larry Young. That put a whole other thing on me. Miles Miles Davis' favorite guitar player, and you know, there's a reason, uh, his articulation and his imagination. Uh, and we became really good friends and brothers. And um, i was really fortunate and blessed know that uh i've been at the right place at the right time and people adopt me uh they trust me so therefore you know except for one guy i'm not going to say who but when it went, when he caught me looking at his hand see what he was doing he immediately turned turned his back to me and and he looked at me like you know like i was going to steal something from him wow. you know and so that made me realize okay you know not everybody's going to be uh giving, you know, some people are going to be really paranoid about you stealing their stuff, you know, even though it's not their stuff, it's B.B. King where they're playing, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, th- th- when I came, came to San Francisco, because of Michael Shreve's, this drummer, he brought a lot of records of Coltrane and Miles only, and he says, you need to listen to this. And I go, I do? He says, yeah, because this, this is this is you, man, this is we. I said, okay.
1: How old were you at that time? Probably uh, 19, 18, 19 and you already so you were steeped more in you'd say at that point more in rock music and then at 18 or 19 you started getting into jazz yes
2: bb king was king ray
1: charles yeah uh, that that was that was
2: it and then once like i said once i discovered monk and coltrane and and, and miles it was it was like like they say the genie is out of the bottle you know you can't
1: put it back in you know and is the band that the band that we know you As was that your first San Francisco band? First San Francisco band
2: was a drummer and a bass player that they kind of took me in uh, because I just came from Tijuana. They had instruments and and I barely had a guitar, so they helped me get an amplifier. And but but we were entering contests like uh, the Battle of the Bands in San Francisco, Kya, and you know like that. And they had like a thousand bands in, in in a gym, in a school gym, and. It thin out because they wanted something original. They didn't want, you know, another Rolling Stones or The Who kind of clones. And and we had this black lady named Joyce Dunn. And we were doing different interpretations of uh, Heat Wave. We got all the way to number three at the Cow Palace amongst Mm -hmm. all the other bands, you know, that were dusted. We were in the top three. And the only reason we lost, I think, is because my partners got so scared. They got drunk, literally drunk, drunk, you know, and I was like, oh. Man, you know, and I was so pissed off and embarrassed, you know, because they couldn't play, you know. But it was a, it was a, it was the beginning of giving me a confidence that I could fit where the Grateful Dead were and where Paul Butterfield was. And, 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 and that's where uh, Bill Graham saw me. Like, you know, everything that you do begets confidence, you know, and clarity. They're like, oh, I can do this, you know. And you see Cream or you see Hendrix, and like, oh, even though a lot of people, quit after they see Hendrix. I said, I said, there's got to be something that he ain't doing that I can do, you know? And so I discovered Gabor Sabo and Bolacete and guitars with congas. Yeah. When did you first see Hendrix? At the Fillmore. And that was a revelation because uh, Jimi Hendrix was probably the only guitar player that I knew or ever will ever know that could play in cinemascopes surround run around with feedback on one note. You know, without being wiped out by it. Most, you know, he's like a surfer that ride the big kahuna and sound waves and knew what he was doing. It didn't control him, it, He control it. So that was a revelation.
1: It's interesting when you say that. I never thought about this before, but, but normally when you think of feedback, you think of it sort of exactly what you said of it sort of taking over, and he was able to manage it. Mm -hmm. I never made the connection before, even though it's, yes, it's, I mean, when you say it's like, of course, it's obvious, that's why he's Jimi Hendrix, but I never thought of it in a a specific way like that before. It's It's a wave of sound.
2: It's a wave of sound, like uh, Coltrane, they call him Sheets of Sound. But yeah, um, so being in San Francisco at the right time was... um, a revelation from Robbie Shankar to Johnny Hooker and, and Jimmy and Coltrane. You know, San Francisco was the ultimate alma mater, uh, university. And you saw all these guys play. Yeah, Sly before they were, wow. uh, you know, right when they started. Uh, Fred, it was Freddie and the Stone Souls before Sly. And so I got, I got a chance to see like someone sculpturing pottery. You know, like. You can see that slides coming from uh, Johnny Guitar Watson and this and that, you know. And he's, I can see where everybody got where they got, you know, because we all we all come from somebody. Yeah, I didn't see it coming though when Miles came out with Bitches Brew, that was really different. And like you said, you said it to all of us. I can go where you go, you can't go where I go. And I was like, oh. And you said it to you know as a blanket statement because. Where he went, being with Charlie
1: Parker and Coltrane, was another realm of uh, harmonic genius. And do you, think, do you think it was all intuition for him? Or do you think it somehow there was uh, learning involved? Probably intuition a lot. You know, from
2: all the books that I read, even though to some people it seemed like it was complex, if you really look at it from a divine point of view, it was actually predictable. You know, the only time that it was unpredictable is when he was not like Prince and Michael Jackson, the persona, when he was the spirit of Miles Davis, like Coltrane, you know, because the persona is the ego and that starts mimicking what people say about him, like, oh, I'm the Prince of Darkness and I'm supposed to, you know, be like that, you know. To this day, I don't understand how he could play the way he played under heroin or cocaine. I just hear my mother say, this is not for you in Espanol. Esto no es para ti. So, since she put that in my head, anytime I try to do anything like that, I couldn't play. I had to go to the shower and stay there (laughs) until I came back to now that I could touch my nose with both hands with my eyes closed and make sense of balance. I couldn't balance anything under those chemical things because they're not medicine, they're chemical drugs. Yeah. Have you had psychedelic experiences? Not until I started going to the Fillmore. And seeing Charles Lloyd like that, and, and you know, and seeing Miles like that, and, and a lot of bands, Sun you know, it's, it's, it it opened it opened it does open up, um, and you understand why Jimmy's music, Sun music, and the Doors' music, and certain music, it had a a different dimension of uh, it's, it's like watching Salvador Dali paint, you know, the, with clocks melting and stuff, you know, it's I love it. Uh, to me, be, being Mexican with the ayahuasca and the mescaline, I, I love broad, broadening and expanding your imagination to the fullest
1: without fear. I'm just thinking about San Francisco in those days. How many people might be at a nightclub if you went out to a club and you got to see those artists? What would what would a typical scene be like? Well, you go to the jazz workshop and it
2: would be West Montgomery with and it, Or you go to... Um, El Matador, it would be Cal Jeter with Mongo and and Willie Bobo or Armando or Bolacete, you know. And, and you go to the both hand and Bizabizodero, and it'd be Miles or Lee Morgan. And you go to the Fillmore, and you see what was really precious about Bill Graham uh, that, that he said to the hippies, If you want to hear the Grateful Dead, you got to hear Miles Davis first. And if you want to hear Santana, you got to hear Roland Kirk, you know. So he make made it a mandatory to to the minds of the hippies if you want to hear 10 years after you're gonna have to hear body rich first you know and he told me that the reason he put Buddy rich in front of them is because he was really annoyed by the, this drummer with 10 years after he was a little arrogant and cocky and he says i'm gonna fix his ass man i'm gonna put so he so he went and got buddy rich to open up for them <laughs> and he made him listen you know and I was like, "Damn, Bill, you're cruel," you know. Uh, but we need that more than ever now, you know. We, we there's no cross pollinization of greatness with the youngsters, you know. So consequently, everything everything sounds the same and terrible.
1: What gave Bill the inspiration to put these people together and to want to share these different genres with people who might not have known that they wanted to hear it? <laughs>
2: well, he grew up in the Catskills and. Um,
1: in New York, uh, working as a waiter,
2: a maitre d' and a waiter. But uh, when he had free time, he would go to uh, Corso. It was this place, uh, about a block, two blocks from um, the Apollo. And it was put Tito Puente, and so he was into, uh, he was totally dead, dead on into Tito Puente and Re Barreto and Mongo, and, and he was an incredible dancer, salsa dancer, uh, b- before they called it salsa. So when he heard Santana, he says, you are the perfect baby that came from B.B. King and Tito Puente. I, I said, I am? And <laughs> He goes, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and and so he basically kind of like adopted me more than the band. He, he was like Miles they would call me, you know. I'm not bragging, but they call me. You know, people who love me call me. John Lee and my phone would ring. And I mean, I say this all the time. For, for many, many, many years, I never got an award at the Grammys but it didn't matter to me because my phone is ringing and it's Wayne or Miles or Jocko, you know, or Stevie, you know, like that. The greatest musicians are calling me and we're just checking on each other, you know. So that was a validation. That's you so need, man. When Miles calls you any time of the night, you know, and he wants to know what you're into,
1: that's the validation, you know. So beautiful. So great. So great that you got to know him. Any, do you have any funny uh, stories related to Miles? I hear he's quite the character. <laughs> Anything you want to talk about?
2: Well, there's so many. You know, some of them are like, um, <laughs> what was really funny about him is that he was funnier than Richard Pryor. He really, really was. And and I would just bust up like, man, this guy is like, I'll just save him because they're 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 not PG at all, you know. <laughs> Uh, But he was fun to be around? Oh, he was definitely If he loved, if he liked you, it was really fun. If he didn't like you, uh, he would just say, must you be here? (laughs) Wow. That was his way to dismiss somebody, you know? Like, adios,
0: you know? We'll be right back with Carlos, Cindy, and Rick after a quick break.
3: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson,
0: Waylon Jennings, Chris Christofferson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. We're back with Carlos Santana and Cindy Blackman.
1: Tell me about leading up to making your first album. What was, were you playing in clubs? Was it, was there a regular, a regular gig at that time?
2: Yeah. Once we formed the band, Bill Graham saw that we were opening, uh, and then he he put a stamp on us. He goes, Okay, you're gonna open out for The Who, and you're gonna open out for Mighty, uh, Howling Wolf, and you're gonna open out for uh, Sly, you're gonna, you know, Creedence Clearwater. We started Stepping Wolf. We opened out for everybody before we recorded. So we were basically playing this this material for about a year and a half before we went to the studio, and we knew it. We knew, how to, we knew what, we were, what to do with Jingo, you know. Jingo was, we just heard a bunch of Congo players. At Aquatic Park in San Francisco, in Gary Deli Square, jingo you know, a bunch of Congo, twenty-two Congo players, one flute, and they're all chanting jingo. And I was like, "Oh my God, what the hell is jingo?" You know, I didn't know till about ten years ago that jingo means go with God. Jingo jingo, go with go with God. So it's a it's a spiritual. It's a spiritual. I had song no idea from Molotov. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So everybody was like. What, what do y'all call that music you're playing, man? <laughs> 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 Steppenwolf and Koreans Clearwater like kept looking at us, especially because they're looking at us and looking at the audience and they're seeing the immediate uh, marriage response, you know. So by the time we got to the studio, everybody was fighting to get us in their in in their record company, uh, Atlantic and Electra and, and Sony. So they they CBS they found this um, producer at the time. His name is David Rubinson, and he had produced Jose Feliciano and, and Mongo Santa Maria. So I said, oh, he knows how to record congas. So he, he, I don't know if he knows how to record electric guitars. We'll see. And we did an album in L.A. for about two weeks, and it just didn't sound or felt anything like we sounded live. So we said, so... We told CBS, we'll pay for the sessions, but we're not going to be, we, he's not our producer. We don't want him with all respect to him. But it's like, but no, no. you know, I I, mean, I know that some people being the first, you're not supposed to have a say so in what you, you know, they they choose for you. And I said, I well, don't, we don't care. I says, well, who are you going to get? I said, well, we'll find somebody. We literally went to Hit Ashbury and find that one of the first hippies that we saw and we heard that you could engineer a little bit. So he's your Duban. You know, I forget his name. And, and so that's what the album sounded so horrible. You know, when we first heard it in Cambridge, Massachusetts, one week before we played Woodstock, the album came out a week before we came out uh, playing Woodstock. And we said, Whoa, that's us, us, but it sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: congas and the
2: drums sound so thin and the guitar, like, Oh my God,
1: you know. It's unusual that you were that you again at that age had the confidence to say this is not my this is not our album when you recorded that first one because so many young bands in that position just go with it and and feel like because they they have gone through the process that that's what it's supposed to be. It's funny how your confidence changes when you're able to
2: play. I wouldn't say under, but over. Marijuana and LSD. You know, you, you either become a wimpy or you become really, really treacherous in your convictions. Like, give you an example. When we, when I heard an LSD on Friday night, party time, party time. You know, this guy, this DJ, and he was, uh, he's playing Latin music and all kinds of music because at that time it was like, you know, from A to C and radio. And they were playing Oh you about. And I said, man, this is a... Great Saturday night party song, like Louie Louie or whatever. You know, I, yeah. I wanted to get those songs that that every time you play, it's like Friday and Saturday after school. You know, you go to a, a, a place, somebody has a party, and the guys in the band were like, This ain't rock and roll. <laughs> you know? and I was like, Man, I don't care when we're playing this thing, you know? And, and so uh, uh, a lot of, a lot, a lot can be said about conviction—not arrogance, or but—but but you have to have the conviction yeah. to go for your destiny. Sound? Yeah. I was reading about that this morning, coincidentally, about star people. Star people have—they're like ascended beings, the transformers of consciousness, bringing new ideas, visions, and solutions, and inspire artists, musicians to elevate, transform, illumine consciousness to a higher state. They serve as conduits, mediums, and channels. They have special gifts and heavenly powers. Everyone's imbued with that, but I think that if you're not careful, the world will program you
1: to be less than that. Absolutely, absolutely, because everyone's got it. We're all born with it, and some of us just get get it uh, beaten out of us, unfortunately
2: yeah yeah and where we are today, you know um with cindy it's a very special uh not even special special is when something's on sale it's, an, it's a, this is divine when you find a person that matches
1: the fervor of of the vision yeah. beautiful yeah you know? amazing Well when's the first time you guys played together?
4: first time we played together was um when Carlos needed a drummer. And um, Dennis Chambers was in the band at that time and had, I guess, something else booked on a, on a on a gig that was off the schedule that Carlos got. And and he called me. I had met him just briefly. Um, I was with Lenny Kravitz, and it was a festival uh, in Germany. And, and I know Dennis. I've known him since I was like 14, so we were hanging out in the back. And I met Carlos really briefly, like, hi, how are you? And went on to watch videos or whatever I was doing. Um so I didn't really uh, interact or talk to him at that point but um then when he needed a sub for for Dennis they somebody called me and and before they could finish the question of whether or not I would do it I, I of course I was saying yes <laughs> <laughs> So cool. Yeah.
1: It's am- it's amazing that I first met you when you were I guess auditioning to be in Lenny's band.
4: Yes. In your house. In my house (laughs) in Los Angeles
1: a long time ago. Yeah,
4: 1990, it was end of 1992. Unbelievable. Because I went there right before, um, right after Christmas and stayed through New Year's. Yeah. And um, um, that was the house that you had just purchased. So there was really like nothing in it because you weren't even living in it yet. No, we
1: were doing construction on it. And and I remember Lenny saying, can I stay in your house? It's like, well, it's under construction. He's like, no, we'll stay in it anyway. And... (laughs)
4: Yeah, everybody and I. I basically, he was staying upstairs and I was basically down in that basement.
1: Yeah,
4: <laughs> I had the drums down there. I was, you know, after I, I I played and 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 kind of auditioned. Then I just stayed down there and learned the songs. Um, I I basically lived in there for 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 two weeks and then we did the Are You Gonna Go My Way" video. Yeah. Um, and then then I went home after that. But yeah, that was the first time we met as well. <laughs> amazing,
1: amazing.
2: We're. Um... Setting setting our eyes towards the new frontier. It's natural to reinvent yourself uh, at this point for us. Uh, there's one word that is bringing it all together. And that word is called miraculous. Just this word. I, we are really going to call our tour uh, miraculous in <laughs> 2020. We haven't even played one song yet, or even written. <laughs> but I have total faith. You know, Rick, that that, that this is the way to. Like, you know, people make the thing about Love Supreme or Abbey Road or, you know. I, I don't, we Supernatural was pretty mean. You know, I, I got to say supernatural, supernatural was pretty mean. Uh, but I'm ready to create something that it reaches the four corners of the world with a different kind of consciousness that makes people cry, laugh, dance, especially, and remember
1: their own light. Beautiful. How do you see the relationship between spirituality and music? It's like breathing in and breathing out. is the same
2: lungs, you know. The the spirituality in music and sensuality is, is exactly the same thing because everyone says, oh, my God, at that point. Yeah. Even even atheists yeah. say, oh, my God. Because <laughs> you can't say, oh, me or,
1: or whatever. Yeah. Did you ever get to see Tito Puente play? Oh yeah, we played many times together. Oh great! Uh, he was my dad's favorite. I I got to see him play as a kid several times.
2: Yeah, he, Cal Jeter and Buddy Rich, were awesome leaders who brought to the masses African music, Black music. They they all play Black music.
4: <laughs> you know,
2: I mean, they play all music, but you know, the best part of Buddy Rich, he played Black music.
1: Did. Did Fania music happen at a similar time to your music? Oh, Fania, yes. yeah. They came in because they saw that it was working. They, you
2: know, they said, oh, who is this Mexican from San Francisco and Tijuana? It hasn't even on Clave. And, but it was Ray Barreto who said, ladies and gentlemen, there's a, there's a musician in the house. And I, I went, uh-oh. And he says, There's a musician in the house who's taking our music to the four corners of the world. This is Santana. And I want you to give him a nice hand. That was Ray Barreto. Not everybody was so nice. Some people were really jealous, pissed off, and insecure because we were taking so called their music. And I said, Well, it's not your music, it's African music. Before Puerto Rico or Cuba was invented they were already playing this music, <laughs> like, like, you know, Absolutely. Wahida, you know. So, so I, I, w- I immediately would go, well, what do you mean is your music? You know, like, for, for me, it was easy to, um, I'm just grateful to be in the center of it all. And if we, to this day, man, if we play with Jimi Hendrix, uh, when we do play with Jimi Hendrix and Bob Marley and Coltrane, they're going to open their arms to us because we're coming from exactly the same place. Which is multi dimensional collective consciousness commonality.
0: We'll be right back with Carlos, Cindy, and Rick after the break. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in Outlaw Country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true, untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed the Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with Carlos Santana and Cindy Blackman.
1: It was thrilling for me to be in the room when you were playing because it really felt like there was a a presence in the space beyond any of the people there. Is that ability to call up that presence is that always been there for you? Pretty much pretty much
2: so, you know, it's um I had this dream on my birthday. John Coltrane came to visit me. I had this visitation, I don't even call it a dream. Um I went to see in my dream, uh, and to hear John McLaughlin at the Catalyst, this funky club in Santa Cruz, and I was getting ready to get him close as close as possible to the front, sit sit in front of the stage as much as possible while he was fixing his shoes and tuning his guitar, and I don't know where parting the crowd was John Coltrane, and with his hand stretched out to me. And he grabbed my hand and looked at me in the eyes. Looked at me in the eyes, and he says, "Carlos, what's the purpose of divine intentionality?" And I, I immediately said, "To uplift those into the awareness of their own light." You know. And I woke up and I said, "Cindy,
4: <laughs> Cindy, you know, Cindy,
3: you're not going to
2: believe this." And she's, you know, it's like, "What, what? It's Cindy?" And, and, and I'm telling her the dream, and my phone rings, and it's John McLaughlin from Monaco. <laughs> and so I told John the dream and he says wow brother that's really something else he says I had a dream too I had a visitation too no. Miles came to visit me no way now, I swear you know <laughs> so for him and I and and Stevie Ray does that a lot to me Bebe you know Jocko I'm okay with people thinking that I'm crazy because I have more latitude You know, people people who are not crazy, they don't have any latitude at all. Their their normality is like really boring. And, you know, with a ceiling, you know, I don't have a ceiling. So this visitations, you know, Cindy has her own, you know, and there's clues in there. Yeah. It's like reading a book and you outline certain things that are like a love letter to yourself. And and so I can see that this miraculous thing has a lot to do with possibly calling John to help us here and there, you know, maybe Chikoria in certain places. Uh, But I want it so that a child can understand it. It's important that a child can, you know, just be mesmerized and be uplifted from herself or himself into a place of total wonderment if it's if it's too complicated and, and you have to go to college to understand it it's no good for me. Mm.
4: But you do that when you when you when you play melodies uh because you, your melodies are so uh intense and 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 the tone is so beautiful
1: you.
4: that you you capture that you know um like Miles Davis you know he plays one note and everybody you is feel it is and fe- yeah is yeah. feeling it You know, so you you, you have that with whatever you're playing.
2: I am here in this planet, this incarnation, to bring healing and erase the distance, illusion, between you and your highest, you. Beautiful. That's it. Yeah. To end this album, Miraculous, I want to end it with... (laughs) <singing> you know the rest life is but a dream <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic you know because <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> I said you, you got to reach the children man you know, of all ages you know you, you everything that you do <singing> <speaking> <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I'll I'll play something in the set, you know, in front of a lot of people, like when we we'll play with the Dewey Brothers, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let them. I'll do that. The whole audience goes, "Life is but a dream." Okay, see you later. You know, <laughs> at that point, there's no Republican or Democrat or this or that, man. It's just, you know, that's what's
1: happening. Beautiful. Thank you. No, man. My- so great to hear you hear you speak. I always feel like I, um, I always feel like I've grown when I get to spend time with you. Wow. Likewise, yeah. likewise, your silence is really profound, man. You know,
2: I, 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 I really learned, man. I was like, damn, this cat, I learned so much by him not saying nothing, like Miles. You know. Uh, thank you.
0: Thanks to Carlos Santana and Cindy Blackman for sharing their vision with Rick. You can hear our favorite Santana songs and the full Africa Speaks album by checking out our playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find extended cuts of past episodes and also new ones. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and is executive produced by Mia LaBelle. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries, And if you like Broken Record, please remember to share, rate, and review our show on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond. Peace.
3: Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music. The strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaykin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now, Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the US stock market and predicts dozens. Of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com. Museora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.